It is time for Track This. My name is Kriya Gangia, and we are bringing you the latest Formula One news from around the world. Uh, and it's always exciting when we come together because we get the very best of South African motorsport minds on one podcast, uh, and we talk about all things Formula One. First, I must say I'm super excited. We have been highlighted as one of the biggest up-and-coming podcasts in South Africa. So Prince and Avon, who I have on the line with me at the moment, uh, congratulations, guys. You are officially one of the best <laughs> up-and-coming podcasts in South Africa. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations, this goes to Popping champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to hear you. <laughs> Everyone wants to hear Korea. No, it's all the hard work we've put in, you know. I just want to thank my mom. And, uh... <laughs> no, it's really good news. It really is. We've got to keep pushing. Well Indeed. done. Yeah, it's very motivating to hear that. South Africa's community is also stepping up and has a voice in the world. Very, very well true. Done. Well, yeah. the voices that you're hearing are, of course, Avon Middleton, who is a publisher and director at Top Gear South Africa, as well as a motorsport analyst. And, of course, we've got Prince Indrini, who is also a motorsport analyst. And joining us on the line is Matthew Kanai, who is an amazing professional automotive and lifestyle content creator uh, and uh, an all-round great guy, a massive Red Bull fan. He's actually in Cape Town at the moment for the World Rally Championships with Red Bull. I'll be joining him in a couple of days. But we are talking Formula One, and that's why we're here. So let's kick it off with some of the general news that we heard over the last couple of days. And it's obviously, it's transfer window time. So a lot of people are locking in contracts. Uh, and a big uh, news story that came out over the last couple of days is the fact that Yuki Tsunoda and Daniel Ricciardo have been confirmed for Alpha Tauri next year, Avon. Yeah, I think uh, not a surprise. I think we, I think we kind of expected that, um, but at least it's wrapped up the, the 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 grid for next year. Barring, I think Logan Sargent's the only one without a seat right now. Um, so just in terms of Alpha Tauri, I think you know that team's gone through a bit and will continue to to go through some changes next year. But I think to confirm driver lineup. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a decent lineup. I think Yuki's proven to be, let's just say, okay. <laughs> uh, hasn't been incredible. Um, I think for Ricardo, he, you know, he's had a bad run of luck, I suppose, and and I think Liam Lawson has really shown him up in a sense. I mean, it's, it's probably not the most fair statement, but uh, Liam Lawson's done incredibly well. So I think Danny's going to have to finish the year strong to just kind of prove that he's deserving of that seat. So. But yeah, it's uh, 2024 is looking, I suppose, wrapped up. Um, we just got to wonder about what's going to happen to Logan Sargent. And I don't think his run of form in the last couple of races has helped. He's He's been quite terrible, actually. Do you think that between Logan Sargent and Yugi Sonoda, obviously, we love the fact that Daniel Ricciardo is signed for another season. Do you think that they made the correct decision going with Yuki, uh, or do you think they should have gone with uh, Logan? I th I think Yuki is the right man. As I said, Logan, you know, obviously Logan's a rookie, but I, I don't think he's done well as a rookie. I think he's he struggled to just get some sort of consistent run of form. Um, you know, and as I said, the last four races, I think he's been to the car in one of the sessions, and obviously. At the end of the day, that costs money. And whilst I think teams can be quite gracious and kind of understanding to rookies, and kind of that's part of the that's part of the deal with rookies is you're gonna you're gonna lose a, a, a few parts. But I think Sergeant's been particularly bad in the last four, and 
you know, this is Formula One. I, I think there's no excuse for it. You, I think Yuki is certainly the, the better choice. Um, Matthew, uh, do you agree that we've got a good combination with Yuki and Daniel moving forward into the 2024 season? Yeah, well, hello, everyone. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a definitely a good choice in Formula One. Experience is key. And I, I heard what everyone says, you know, someone like Logan still has a lot of betting to do in the team and we can see the costly errors and mistakes. And we've seen someone who in prior rookie years, um, Alex Albon, who took a Williams, which was like a, a bottom of the range car and, and kept putting it into Q3 consistently and into Q2. That's why they call them Mr. Sunday. So having someone like Yuki and Daniel is very, very important just because the next couple is very critical. Yuki's got experience with the car. Daniel's got experience with the car. Um, and we're also going into a very big technical change um, that's happening in 2026. Um, and we're also going into an evolution phase, which is next year, which is basically all the bottom of the, the, the second half of the grid, I would say, basically come into their own for next season because they've gotten through all the errors. The top teams have gotten the most out of the car and they've been gathering so much data. And if you put in junior drivers into a car where championship points mean more money for you at the end of the season, it really is quite costly. So having someone like Yuki and Daniel is very valuable for a team, especially with Alfa uh, Tari going through a rebrand for next year. Uh, Franz Tost obviously leaving. Um, so experience is is worth a lot more for a team. I also look forward to that pairing moving forward. And something that's also quite interesting that's come out in the news in the last couple of days, Avon, is the fact that Andretti is one step closer to joining Formula One. There's talk of being an 11th team on the grid. Now, obviously, they're still in the processes, right? Explain to us what this process means and where they are in the steps of joining us in Formula One. Right. So... Andretti's been lobbying to have an entry in Formula One for a few years now. Um, and uh, essentially what they've done is, I suppose you need to see this as a, as a two-step two process. The first process is now what they've overcome, which is, of course, that uh, uh, the FIA will agree that they can join uh, Formula One. But now they need to convince Formula One that they need to join, and that means money. So ultimately what they need to do now is uh, agree some commercial terms with uh, Formula One and uh, and then they could potentially join the grid from next year. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that goes into it. Um, the first is, you know, you can't just join Formula One. You need to pay to play. And given the current rules or the current agreement, um, which is set out in the Concord Agreement, I think they will need to put in $200 million to play. But that's just uh, what they call an anti-dilution fee. So that's just to kind of go, let's keep all the rest of the teams happy because another team coming into Formula One, as you would agree, will dilute everything by an 11th. So, you know, TV rights. Um, and we all know that ultimately Formula One is a big marketing circus. So, uh, so that's the first thing. But then they'll also need to agree on a few other commercial terms with Formula One. The other thing is you can't just join Formula One and kind of go, hey, I'm just going to dip my feet in for a year and then say cheers if I don't like it. So there's the, the agreement in terms of commercial is is, is ultimately uh, a time agreement. Um, I think the current Concord Agreement ends, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, 2025. And then thereafter, you know, they would need to sign a new one. And I think that's going to be part of the negotiations. Um, I, my opinion, it's not going to be easy. I think the other Formula One teams are making it quite difficult. Um, but I have to say that 
given what they've currently done. So they've agreed to deal with um, American automo- automaker GM. And I think that's a great backing uh, under the Cadillac name. So they're not coming in kind of willy-nilly. You know, they they really seem to have technical support. They've got some ex-F1 engineers in the team. They've got some facilities. They've got some money, so it seems, and, and some sort of corporate backing. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we'll see. Uh, what I can tell you is Formula One is incredibly uh, sticky about money. Money's a big thing. It's an incredibly expensive game to play. But they'll need to do it quickly so that they can join the, the the deal next year or join Formula One next year. Because I believe after the 2025 Concord Agreement ends, that anti-dilution fee that we spoke about is going to be much, much more expensive. Some reports of $600 million. So if you're going from 200 to 600 yeah, you might want to get in now. <laughs> but it's very exciting. I, I personally, I support this whole thing and I think... Formula One needs another team. I think another American team would be great, given how sort of popular Formula One's become. But also, it's Andretti. I mean, you kind of think, why weren't they there a long time ago? You know, why, 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 why has it taken so long? It's it's such a iconic racing name, and they need to be there. I think it's a good thing. So I certainly support it. My brain just doesn't commute to having 11 teams. I think we need 12. Somewhere in the world, someone else <laughs> needs to come out. The odd number is giving me a little bit of weirdness. All right, let's move on to uh, another big thing. And uh, Matthew, you've been very big in terms of advocating this on social media. And that was the fact that Jessica Hawkins uh, does the very first female test in Formula One in the last five years, which was a massive achievement for Formula One and the Aston Martin team. It was. It was really cool to see. I think it gives a lot of emphasis that girls can do anything they put their mind to. It did take a long time. Um, The W Series was something that was kind of pushing that sort of agenda, which was great. Um, But obviously it went into administration as all the big words come out there. And especially with Andretti, um, the politics always politicking, as they say. Um, but being an ambassador for, for Aston Martin, you know, she drove the team's 2021 car. Uh, she did 26 laps at Budapest Hungara Ring, um, which is it's fantastic. So being the first woman to do um, F1 testing in five years, um, and she puts herself into the Hall of Fame um, because that, that's not an easy achievement. Um, we all know how very, very difficult it is. Um, you know, like what she was saying in the interview is something crazy like, Um, If 5,000 or so kids take part in karting, um, only 10 of them are women, and then you've got like a 0.1% of your chance Mm. to get Formula One. Um, So being 28 years old, um, you know, there was a question of is she too old? But I think for her, it's just about ticking a lot of things. You know, she's she's got um, so much under her. Interestingly enough, she's in the Guinness World Records. Um, She's the world's fastest female in a lawnmower. Uh, if you wanted to know that. Um, so she's ticked off a lot of stuff. She's worked with uh, Seb. She's worked with Lance Stroll, Alonso, Felipe Drogovic, Stoffel van Dorn. Um, so a really big deal. Um, and it really is, it's getting to the point where we can actually start to see more females um, doing this. Um, and and she's kind of really opened it. I, I don't think we're seeing a, a point where it's being gatekeeped. Um, we're seeing a point where it's like, Okay, well, we have the machinery, we've got the simulator, um, we've got all the data. If you can come and prove it, just like Jess did, um, you can get a shot. So um, 
maybe in in the next sort of uh, it seems quite bad but probably in the next sort of 10 years we might see an acceptance of having sort of mixed teams if they can prove themselves but um yeah just you know an overall an overall win for men i think it's quite cool to see that yeah no i was very very impressed and then the whole development of the f1 academy um and females in motorsport there's a there's a real big talk about it and i've thoroughly been enjoying it um so kudos to f1 to really putting it out there and putting the ladies in the cars um and i hope that it starts developing going even further but let's talk yeah. where we are in terms of racing at the moment prince i want to bring you in here massive massive achievement for red bull last weekend in japan they managed to um finalize their constructors championship for the year yeah red bull are untouchable is the word i think they've they've set such a high standard for the other teams to try and catch up with and live up to it and i think the indicators to how difficult it is is how late some of the other teams are getting on song and getting into stride in terms of their setup for their cars and also the fact that for example teams like McLaren sort of um setting their development in the Red Bull direction um is the loose term says a lot just uh, as to just how well the team have done they've absolutely smashed it this year there's no question about that and they have the talent to do so in the form of Max Verstappen and on the odd occasion uh, Sergio Perez on the very odd occasion, <laughs> Sergio Perez. <laughs> um, but uh, overall, it's just they're, they're untouchable. They have the the prowess. I think Formula One is is one of those sports and disciplines, particularly in motorsport, where you need people that are bred for it. Um, you can't necessarily cross contaminate and say you've gone in one sport, for example, football as a sporting manager of some sort and then you jump into the sport and and try and make your way ahead for example in the case of Maurizio Arvebelli with with uh with Ferrari when he came because he used to be at Juventus and in a number of the other properties under that whole conglomerate and group of companies and things didn't necessarily go well for him and the point I'm getting at is that someone like Christian Horner who's been um, a team principal for the majority of his career starting in junior formula and going on into Red Bull these are the benefits of that. He fully understands the demands of the sport and how to build a strong team around him. The presence of Adrian Newey and his name alone speaks volumes. You don't need to go into too much detail as to how much of an advantage it is to have the genius of Adrian Newey where um, aerodynamic design is concerned of their car and the platform they have. So a lot is going Red Bull's way on all fronts. There's really nothing they can do wrong at the moment. And you can't deny that they've absolutely earned this result. And it's just a matter of time for them to actually wrap up the Drivers' Championship now. So it's, it's, it's kudos to them and the job they've put on this year. No team can deny they've really done well. I'm going to put this question to Matthew. But Avon, whenever you feel like jumping in, feel free to. Um, but pretty much, we spoke about it in depth. When Red Bull was having the really bad performance um, you know, with the car and they, they, they lost out on their world record. We put a pin in the conversation in the fact that, you know, it was just to the fact that it could either be a setup problem and the cars were just having a couple of issues on that particular track, or it could have been a bending off the rules. And we said that we'll wait till Japan comes around and, and see exactly what it is. And Matthew, it turns out that it was actually just a setup of the car and the track and not a bending off the rules. 
Yeah, I'm waiting for Avon to draw his sword because um, I, I love talking to him about this stuff when we go toe to toe. But yeah, it was it wasn't technical directive that messed it up. Um, as we know, Formula One, because they always speak about it and how tricky and complicated it is. Someone watches for the first time in practice and then all of a sudden there's a car with green paint and then there's sort of chicken fence on the side of the car and everyone's asking what's going on. So what happened was the car just, it, it, you know, it, it came out on, on, on RedBullMotorsport.com that um, the car just was not set up correctly for the racetrack and really just put a hindrance into them because everyone would say, yeah, it's because of the flexi wing and it's because of this and that. And I said, hey, hang on, a team that's been as dominant throughout the year can't just all of a sudden just get nerfed um, and, and sort of limp home. And I said, wait for Japan because it's definitely a setup issue. We know how the car performs. And then what happened in Japan, it was just, you know, whitewash. Um, so it was definitely that, um, also very tricky because um, it, it kind of exposed a, a flaw in, in a very big team to say that, hey, look, the, the top performing team with the most incredible car, if they get one sort of percent wrong, it all goes wrong for them and they kind of lose out on top three yeah. and valuable points. Um, and when you've got a driver like Sergio who hasn't been performing very well, um, you know, his sort of sixth or fifth place then becomes like, okay, well, now it's going to really put a slow puncture into it. So um, it was just, it, it was very, very hard to watch. Obviously, if you if you love the team and, and you want to see them perform and you see that and um it was okay i took it on the chin everyone's saying yeah we're cheating and and <laughs> and all those sort of things that, oh it's, it's back for resurgence it's time you guys suck and i'm just like you know what we just got the car wrong we admitted it that's what happened max was also on the radio he wasn't very happy the car just the car in technical terms the car just refused to turn so every time it was put into a corner he turned the steering wheel and you saw the back end were just coming out on the power and you just couldn't get it right um and teams took advantage of that um and we ended up seeing um what people called a very exciting race if red bull wasn't dominating um but yeah it was it was cool to see the the other the other boys fight I, I just want to say you know it's it's i'm you know i was of the opinion that it was a good thing that the Red Bull wasn't 100% perfect. You know, it was nice to just kind of go, this dominant team, uh, is, you know, still has a little bit of stuff to do. And I, I just, it shows their dominance when we're saying they had a bad weekend because Max came fifth. You know, Max took 10 points home and we're calling that a terrible race for Red Bull. You know what I mean? In 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 the context of other other teams... If Lewis Hamilton comes fifth, Carlos Sainz comes fifth, uh, Piastri comes fifth, we're going to go, well, not a bad race, you know. Mm. But we're, when Red Bull takes home 14 points as a team, we go, wow, this is, this is a terrible, terrible weekend. <laughs> and I think, you know, this is just how dominant they are. But it's not uncommon for a team who build a, a dominant car in a season to have a few races where that car uh, doesn't perform in a particular environment. And let's just remember, Singapore's tough. You know, Singapore's tough on all fronts. And I think, uh, you know, as far as my understanding goes, they just they struggled with getting the tires to work mm. in, a, in a window that they're comfortable. And that's why they had no balance. The front was bad, the, ba the rear was bad, and both drivers were complaining. But you know what? Uh, as I said, it, it, it really wasn't that poor a weekend for Red Bull. Um, uh, you know, for me, a poor weekend is when both cars don't come home. That's a bad weekend. But for Red Bull to come fifth, and I think Perez eighth, uh, Max fifth, and Perez eighth, you know, take it on the chin. 
uh, it's one race out of 16. Relax. It's, uh, you know, they, I, I never at any point thought anything about bending of the rules. Um, I think I missed that podcast. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> they had a struggle. Sorry guys, you know, let's, let's move on. Um, so yeah, I mean, Japan, they came back, you know, business as usual. In fact, yeah, unbelievable. And just kudos to the team. It's an incredible team. Look, they did very well. Um, and it leads kind of leads up to your your, your next point about uh, a team being very clever. Because I also think that, like what everyone said, a, a top dominating team, you know, they get it wrong and everyone just kind of mocks and throws the stones. Um, and then in the case of driver number two, um, everyone kind of said it was very silly and, you know, insult to injury. But I guess what they did was clever. But um um, you will allude to that next point. <laughs> yes, I was actually going to ask Avon to explain to us this process because a lot of people were very confused about it. And I heard or I saw a lot of conversations on social media, which was Checo. Now, obviously, the incident happened. He had a little bumper bashing um, and they brought him into the garage because obviously the car wasn't performing. Then they docked him, right? Technically out of the race. Then they brought the car out again to serve his penalty. Talk to me about that and talk to me about the rules around it. How does something like that actually work? Right. So I just want to say, first of all, Perez had a terrible weekend and it worries me in terms of the kind of desperate drive that he seemed to have been driving. Um, and I think, you know, we're talking about this dominant team. And I think for now, I just want to say the one area <laughs> where I think there's just a little bit of inconsistency and problems is is in that second driver i'm calling him the second driver because he is but basically what happened in japan is obviously paris had a bad race lost the front wing at the start ultimately had a dig with elbon and then complained that the car wasn't feeling good so there, there was some damage to the car and it was the team's decision that actually instead of trying to make anything of it given how bad the race has already been let's bring the car in and let's retire the car and save it. That was essentially the, the, the kind of decision. But then because of the ding, uh, the um, race control gave uh, Perez a penalty. And you have a choice. If you've retired the car, the penalty would then need to be served in the next race. And that would probably mean some sort of a grid drop. I think a three-place or a five-place yeah. grid drop. And so Red Bull opted to say, well, the car still works. It's not to say the car's damaged that we can't drive it. So they opted to say, no, guys, let's send Perez back out into the race to serve the penalty in this race. We're not going to lose anything. It is incredibly smart. We're not going to lose any places because we've already retired the car. We're not going to lose any time. We're not going to hinder anybody's race. So let's serve the time now. And I think, and that's what they did. So Perez went out, served his penalty, and then they retired the car. And I think... Again, we talk about a team that's dominant. They're dominant because they think. And so, I mean, if you look at Japan, they couldn't lose any more. So, yes, they had a bad race. It wasn't great for them. But they couldn't lose any more. Whereas if they went to the next race this weekend, you know, they, they're already starting three places down. So you've already lost before you've even started. So, yeah, that was that was a smart call. And uh, I think a good thing. You bring up a very interesting point in your saying, and you brought it up a little bit earlier in your point, um, is the fact that the one consistent part, and I want to bring Prince in here with Red Bull, is Checo Perez. Now, obviously, we've been chatting about this for a couple of podcasts now. 
And we know that Red Bull is infamous for doing this, and that's driver replacement. Now, we know that obviously Checo does have a contract for next year. Do we see this actually happening and Checo being replaced? I always like to think to myself that Red Bull is a four-car team. So <laughs> that should hope that answers uh, the question somewhat. But look, <laughs> at, at any point, really, Red Bull does have the ability to do that. It's, I think, what for me is the most pressing factor for a situation like that coming Uh is that is the is the challenge from other teams around Red Bull strong enough as to warrant a second driver change at the moment? Right now, I don't think that's the case, and may may not be the case for a short while, which is I think doing the greater part of the work to keep Checo in that seat, and it's not really his ability that's saying he he's actually earned that second driver seat. We've had a couple of cameos across the rest of the grid with drivers who've shown that they actually do have ability that's reliable over a season long, season long or two season or three season long period. Um, and in fact, drivers that have come out from the Red Bull stable, no less, for example, the likes of Alex Albon, but we know that the likelihood of that happening isn't very, very high. Um, I think that's what's keeping Checo there. The fact that Red Bull don't have such an immediate threat to their strategy come race to race, uh, to their overall championship contention ability for the constructors in particular, because the constructors is a combined effort. And if Checo's inconsistent performances still put some sort of contribution to them winning the constructors four or five races early, then is it really a headache? Is it that much of a headache? It is a headache, but is it that much it's not one where you'd wake up in the middle of the night and get, a, I don't know, a, a schedule six or seven set of pills. You, you could sleep through it and, you know, <laughs> get a Panado or something later on in the morning. <laughs> so I think Red Bull are opting for the Panado option. Um, it's not really that much of a, a, a biggie for them. But should it come to that point where it's now Checo is actually the straw breaking the camel's back in his performances for overall achievements in silverware, then we can see them play that hand as 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 the, as being the team that has so many driver options on the F1 grid. Look, um, I everyone knows I'm born and bred Red Bull, but I also know the weaknesses in the team. And Sergio started off strong, um, and I, I can't help but notice if it's a mental thing, if it's just him pushing too hard. Um, look, at, as as a fan, you know, just like what. Um, Avon was saying it it really was I wouldn't necessarily call it embarrassing watching it in Japan but I just saw too much desperation um and that wasn't the driver I'm used to um and knowing Red Bull Red Bull's very double-edged sword so Red Bull is the team you go to to perform but at the same time if you don't you get cut so on the other side you've got uh Sergio being the most consistent uh, pairing for Max Verstappen in a very long time. So the team has that to keep him on. The other thing is bringing in another driver changes in that dynamic. So even though they can calculate his sort of bad errors, they've still won constructors um, and Max will still wrap up the championship for himself with five races to spare. So besides all the negative that's being enlarged, um, 
there, there is some positive for the team and also it, it's consistency. And, and a team like Red Bull, you change something up, the dynamic changes. Because even though Sergio is not really carrying that much weight as you can say it, he does pick up where it's needed to help them in the long bit. It's kind of like when you watch the movie of the people stealing money from the bank, they don't take the big, huge amounts. They always round off the 0.1 and 0.2 cents. And that's what Serge has kind of been doing, although that's not really the best thing for a number two driver in a very high-performing team. The second thing is Red Bull also have the case that if someone was to join Max, um, he they could be a threat. So they couldn't take anyone from Ferrari. They couldn't take Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris or George Russell because they know the threat that Max will have and they know it'll mm. be a Nico Rosberg-Lewis Hamilton yeah. situation. So it's very, very difficult at the moment. Um, I, I haven't seen a driver dip this much. So I don't really know what the next five races are for Sergio. Um, but really disappointing. We we all saw he he started off fantastically in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, and there were just one, two, one, two, one, two. Then it became one, three, one, five, DNF, this, this, this. Um, so if it's a mental thing, I don't know. He is signed. Um, but again, even in the, the Alpha Tari stable, um, there are drivers who can perform, but looking at it quite critically, um, you can't say to yourself, it doesn't matter who you support, you can't confidently say that Yuki would perform well as a number two driver yeah. um, because, you know, he's got hot-headed temperedness. Um, you've got Danny Rick who's just done some work and he's injured and Liam Lawson is now full of sale. Um, so you've got so many drivers who could, but they can't. And Sergio kind of seems like the best option for now. And then you've it's got the best the of the rest. <laughs> He is the best of the rest. And uh, you can't really put any other driver because any other driver, their sole goal will be to stop being number two and to prove that I'm better than Max Verstappen. Um, and that could be detriment to the team. So it's it's really just like, it's a question mark right now. It's the Max show. Um, but, you know, looking at it, Sergio just, um, he, he just isn't there. And it's quite sad to see because we all know how cutthroat Red Bull is. If he doesn't do this for the rest of the year, sure, he has a contract. Um, and they could give him hope for the first season, but they could easily just drop him like a spanner and say, hey, look, shock to the world, Liam Lawson, why don't you give it a shot? Um, because yeah. Sergio is disposable. He's quite old now. Um, his contract's only for one year. Um, and the team could say, look, well, you don't have a multi-year. You've got a single year. So, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's a time will tell situation, but really hoping that he will pick it up. Um because it, it it just it would be sad, kind of like Alonso. We saw Alonso and, and Aston just like they were like the team that we thought would threat out Ferrari, and they came after Red Bull, and now all of a sudden they've dropped to like a middle order team. So mm. it's uh it's just one of those things you just have to wait and see. But also, season's almost over, so can't really do much. Yep, season is almost over, and potentially Avon, as we move into our next race this weekend in Qatar, um, Max could wrap up the championship as well. Oh, I don't think he could. I think he will. It's just a case of at what point in the race weekend that happens. Um, but, I mean, there's no data to suggest that it's not going to be in the sprint race. Um, you know, permutations say he's essentially got to have, what, a three, a, a, a take three points uh, ahead of... Yeah, he's of got Perez it. If he finishes above sixth in the sprint race, he will win the championship. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's no... Essentially, Perez needs to get 32 points this weekend, you know, over Max, which we've just proved or we've just agreed that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, Max will wrap up the championship. And, yeah, I mean, 
we knew this was coming. It's going to be his third straight title. He's going to live in that club. Uh, a very, very few drivers uh, um, can, can lay claim to that. And you know what? Kudos to him. Uh, it's. I think. I think the track will suit the car. I don't think anybody's going to be a threat. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to it. I'm a big fan of this Qatar circuit, um, and we haven't seen it in a while. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. See what he can do with the race. Um, really, for me, the big excitement is what's happening behind him. That's really yes. where the real, the real stuff is happening. Right down the field. Right down to, you know. Uh, um, the Alpha Tauris who are currently languishing right on the bottom. But there's there's points for everybody and there's positions to be gained for everybody except Red Bull. You know, for me, um, where the real sort of money is, and I and I do mean that literally is the money. So Alpha Tauris' cars vastly improved, as I'm sure we'll all agree after that uh, that update. So, you know, they're currently sitting last on the championship. Can you believe it? Um, not too many years ago, this was a, a Williams place to be. Williams sitting seventh on 21 points. Alpha Tauri's on five points. Alpha Romeo on 10 points. So, you know, Alpha Tauri needs one good weekend and they can quickly climb ahead of Alpha Romeo, ahead of Haas, who's on 12, and technically even ahead of the Williams if, if, they, if they play their cards right. So, that, so that from seven to 10, there is a lot, of, there is a lot going on. Um, and then further up into the middle order mclaren's resurgence doesn't stop so if they continue on their form they will catch aston martin without a doubt and that's going to be very very painful for that team the aston martin team that is andrea stiller he's a, yeah he's he's a, a lot of kudos to him and then of course the big one is ferrari mercedes um you know ferrari as well have had a great run of form so they've got what 20 points to catch mercedes can they do it of course they can i don't know if they will but they certainly can so yeah, just every team, barring Red Bull, uh, could could you know either rise or fall in these next few races. Let's talk about this race that's currently coming up. Um, Prince Qatar is an exciting circuit. It's a very fast-paced circuit. There's a lot of action that we could look forward to this weekend. And it's a sprint. It's the first night sprint we're having of the season as well. Exactly. That's That should be interesting to see, the first night sprint and, and how the teams are affected by that. And, of course... The sprint racing format having been a point of contention for so long, you'd think um, we're, we're familiar with it and sort of used to it and accustomed to it now, but still not the case. But it's, I suppose, more screen time, more face time for us with F1, which I, I don't think is a bad thing at all. Um, it is a night race mimicking Singapore in that regard. I think it would mimic Singapore in terms of temperatures as well. So degradation is, is definitely going to be a thing, um, higher tide degradation. And it'll be interesting to see how teams face that challenge, particularly the ones that have had that little niggle in terms of their overall performance. I think Ferrari in particular, but their form over the post, past couple of races has shown that they, they've actually gotten the better of it here and there um, in, t- in terms of overall planning their race and stretching their stints and being a bit smart about them. I think tires tires has been a big thing for them and they seem to have overcome that. And the person bearing that flag has been Carlos Sainz and and not the golden boy, Charles Leclerc, which I always get a, a bit of enjoyment out of. I think that's a fantastic thing. I think, I don't know if it was you, Korea, or someone I was speaking to was saying that, you know, at the fact that um, Sainz knows that there's a potential for contract with Audi when they come into full factory setup with with um, Alfa Romeo Sauber, 
Um, he He's sort of kicking hard as he can, knowing that he's just upsetting a team he's leaving eventually. So he absolutely doesn't care um, how he, he beats, how badly um, he beats Golden Boy Leclerc. <laughs> like, if it is the case, then so be it. Get yours. Get yours in, signs. Um, upset the hornet's nest. But look, it's he's, he's fantastic. He's shown his intelligence and brilliance. So I look <laughs> forward to seeing more of that kind of performance at a place like Qatar. Um, it is the the odd thing about Qatar is having only been here once before. I think that was in twenty twenty one, and also the fact that the, the circuit having been purpose built for MotoGP in particular and other disciplines, so Formula One sort of being accommodated to some extent, but it's still raceable as we saw, and it's still uh, definitely doable. The only difference I think is the last time we were here, it was Mercedes that were on song and in untouchable, relatively untouchable form. Now um, the shoes on the other foot. Yeah. So um, Avon, of course, alluded to the, the mid-pack battles. I think that's where it's, it's going to be very exciting. And seeing the infighting, if we're going to get more from that sequel, from that series um, with Lewis Hamilton and George Russell and the squabbling, that's going to be fantastic because the scrap, it's like scraps within scraps. <laughs> so I, I love I love the fact that the team is fighting for points. I absolutely love it. It's, so, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, <laughs> the, the rumor is that um, the team had to call Toto to make the final call in terms of strategic decision in Japan. And Toto is recovering from his arm leg surgery or something like that. So it's, it's, it's really, you know, Stuff is flying at the walls here at, at Mercedes. And I think it is going to take very firm decision-making that's going to set a precedent for the future because someone's lost the change room there where George Russell is concerned. Um, you can see the real-time decision-making that the team really have no control over this. So they're prioritizing driver championship versus team and constructor championship is going to be interesting. And of course, you've um, even also touched on the other battles that are going on in the constructors. Yeah. So Qatar, Qatar actually fine. Red Bull may be cleaning house and, and collecting all their silverware, but it may be the start of some very interesting battles because it's it's the money part of the season now. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to to Qatar. Okay, so now that we've gotten into the nitty gritties of Qatar, let's talk predictions. Matthew, you're up first. Oh yeah, I'm looking for T Boy to fight with uh, Lewis Hamilton. If you remember Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton sat down a long time ago and they had a very nice conversation and they said um when was the last time you ever seen Toto Wolf extremely mad Lewis looks at the camera and he says I think it was the one time I've never seen Toto as mad but it was the time when Lou when myself and Nico Rosberg came together he said he had never seen Toto as furious and apparently he's getting similar aggression with how George is just getting away with nonsense. So I'm just looking forward to nice. um, that implosion. But yeah, I um, it's a it's a very, very nice uh, circuit. Um, it's very, very fast. Um, it's very dramatic. There's going to be lots of sparks. Uh, but yeah, poll prediction, I'm going to have Max Verstappen. Uh, Red Bull, I'm going to have um, just, you know, I'm going to have Max as a P1 as well. Um I just think he's he's going to wrap it up and he's going to do it um, as everyone sort of predicts. But further down the line, um, I've really seen a huge resurgence in Ferrari McLaren. So I feel like there's going to be a very nice battle there. Um, obviously, Charles Leclerc has a lot to prove um, that he is sort of top dog above science. So I'm looking forward to 
uh, the McLarens fighting with the Ferrari. So I'm going to put uh, Carlos Sainz as a P2 uh, with Charles Leclerc coming P4 because I'm going to put Lando Norris as P3. I really have been seeing the McLarens really perform. So I'm going to wedge the Ferrari and McLaren. So it'll be Max P1, P2, I'm going to put Sainz, P3, I'm going to put Norris, P4, I'm going to put Leclerc. Um, and then five and six is going to be the Merck boys because I feel like um, with, with their situation, um, <laughs> I think they've got the car to perform. I just think that it's a thing of um, we keep telling our our future star to behave and to do what the team says, um, but he's not listening. So I think that's where I'm going to put my my top six. Um, and, um, yeah, I think um, also before we, we head over to the others, um, very interesting to know that if uh, Lance Stroll does not score any more points in this race, his father will have to make a decision to say, look, okay, we have Alonso. He's yeah. literally carrying the team. So it'll be another weekend where he finishes outside of the top 10. Pressure mounts on him. So if he doesn't cut it within the next five, I think there's going to be another hot take for next year because nepotism gets you only so far. But, I mean, if you suck, you suck. All I could say is that um, Sebastian Vettel is available. Hey? I said it last week. I'm saying it again. But rumor is he might actually join um, Audi with Science as a development driver. But that's uh, that's a chat for another race. Mm-hmm. All right, Evan, you go. What is your predictions for, for Qatar? Right, so I think Max P1. I'm going to go Norris P2, and I'm going to go Perez P3. Uh, behind them, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not important. Top three is all we're looking at now. Everyone's so over it. It's like, whatever. <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to this race, but I do think it's going to favor that Red Bull and the McLarens are really, really strong. They're clearly a second-order team at the moment. And then, of course... I, I think in this race, Paris hopefully will will find some form and come back. Um, and then I actually think Merck four five. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Okay, uh, Prince, you're in. Mm, I'm I'm team whatever. <laughs> of course, it's going to be a Red Bull dominant uh, weekend. It's leaning towards them. So the P one for pole and the win definitely going to Max. But now for the second and third positions, I'm backing McLaren for another double podium. And that is purely based on some facts we cannot measure, neither can we confirm. But usually when Ferrari has it all going for them and they're supposed to impress, they don't. And there's little implosions that surface. And I think maybe this weekend might be one of those. Don't ask me where I'm getting this from. But usually Ferrari just don't know how to complete their own fairy tale. And it's very ironic considering that they're Ferrari. So I really think... They have the promise to challenge, but McLaren are going to usurp them. And Oscar Piastri, I think, has a lot of motivation to get that P2. And I think he will. And Lando Norris is going to be behind him in P3. Interesting. I'm, I'm a bit shocked that you guys are putting the, the Mercedes so low back. That's very strange for me. Because in my brain, I've got Max, obviously, pole and 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 winning the race. That's it. And then I really feel like... Lewis is, it's 
this is something that's got to happen eventually. Every we've been talking about this in pretty much every podcast when we see the Mercedes have a bit of power on them. Is that yeah. if you if you if you shoot enough arrows, you'll eventually hit a target, right? Look, I think Lewis he's still going to score points. Let's not forget Lewis is third in the championship, and and yeah, I mean he's he's just I don't think he's going to get a podium. He can get a podium. I think Mercedes do have the ability. Look, I'm stacking them as as uh, like a fourth and fifth. The reason why I didn't put Perez there is because I'm still not confident as to where he's going to place. But in the Mercedes stable, we all know amongst all of us that Mercedes can do well and one of the two drivers can get on podium. I just think the issue is between Russell and Hamilton because every single race, they've got the pace. One driver is slow, one driver is fast. Let me ahead. Let's collect points as a team. It's almost towards the end of the year, but no. Russell wants to do his own thing. Then Hamilton wants to fight him and there's bickering and then obviously the big boss is away. So then they said, let's take a chance and let's fight. So I think they have to sort out their sort of team structure before we can actually see them collecting further positions up to fight a McLaren. Um, because we all know that the experience of Lewis and the talent of George Russell, they can easily take on Oscar. Um, and, and we've seen it before. They've gotten very close, but it always comes down to team orders and someone not listening to each other. Mm. So if they can get that right for the last five races, you can definitely see Lewis on the podium. You can definitely see that. It, it's it's 100% possible, but... Um, there's a bigger problem there. I think it's possible. I, I don't agree with you with that at all. I, I don't think Merck has the pace. I, I just don't think they have the pace. That's it. I, the last three races have proven that the Ferrari and the McLarens, in sheer pace, are in a bit of in better form. I, and I, and I think Merck's kind of given up on this development race. So it's not like you know. They, I don't think they just have the pace. You know, the McLarens are far faster, and irrespective of team orders and you, you know i just want to say for the for the record i love them fighting because ultimately so my problem with george is actually he doesn't he doesn't fight enough you know if 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 you're going to be this star boy at some point you're going to have to be a little bit belligerent and defiant and say actually no <laughs> i want these points we've seen lewis do it we've seen max verstappen do it and hey guess what those guys are world champions you can't Always be, oh, that's a directive, Russell. You have to let Lewis through and then go, okay, I'll be play team game. Lewis wouldn't do that. I promise you he wouldn't. You know, he'll do it if he knows he's got nothing to gain. But if he's got to gain, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't take that lying down. And let's be honest, George is incredibly smart. He's, he's very much like a Vettel in that sense. He, he generally makes the right call and then the team will override him. And I think at some point he's got to go, no, I don't agree. Stuff you. I'm going. A anyway, irrespective, I love it. I think it's great for Formula 1. It's great for racing. And you know what? I do think those two have respect for each other in the sense that they're not going to take each other out. No. And, and you know, Lewis drives very defensively. He's always looking around him so that he doesn't crash. That's why he's third in the championship because he's incredibly consistent at finishing. Yeah. And I think yeah. George is learning that. So George is also starting to go, holy moly, Lewis almost took me out, but I got out of the way. And he's learning that, and I think that's important. So, yeah. you know what? Let them fight. I was so disappointed when that radio call came in and said, uh, George, that's a directive. Like, just do what we say. Like, that is so crap for me. 
you know, just let the boys race. They're, they're doing well. Either way, you're going to get the points. And I think if they listened to George, they would have got fifth and sixth, not fifth and seventh, my opinion. Oh, I love it when you guys have different opinions. It's so much fun. I <laughs> 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 love you, Avon. Don't worry. I know we have our differences, but... Uh... Still, still oh, this is the way to go. Yeah, it's great. I think, as I said, I love. What is life? You know, secretly, if you think about it, you think that we are two Mercedes drivers. One of us, I would say, you're the Hamilton, and I'm the George. I'm always the one who's poking, poking the bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast for today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm not putting in any predictions because I'm going to wait until the end of practice. Uh, and maybe the uh, qualifying for sprint race, and then I'll make a decision on who I'm putting where in terms of my super brew picks. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And enjoy Qatar this weekend. Awesome. Thank you. All Thanks, so everyone. Much. Thank you, Kriya. Appreciate it. It was dope. Thank you, team. Looking forward to it. And have a good weekend.